and welcome to Perfecting the Practice, the podcast for behavioral health providers and administrators on how practice management makes perfect. This podcast is brought to you by Therapy Brands, a collection of the best of the best behavioral health practice management, telehealth, and data collection tools. Our team is here to help you expand the reach and impact of your practice. My name is Sage, and I'm a member of the Therapy Brands team. I have a background in mental health administration, having previously worked as a practice manager and insurance biller before joining Therapy Brands. I've seen firsthand the ways in which the right techniques and tools make all the difference when it comes to successfully running a practice. From getting clients in the door to getting paid for your services, there are so many moving parts to keeping a therapy practice in good health. In today's episode, we're talking about telehealth. The emergence of COVID-19 marked a massive spike in the amount of healthcare providers and organizations turning to telehealth as a means of providing remote care to patients. As this demand for telehealth has risen, so too has the amount of telehealth video platforms available on the market. Today, we'll discuss this trend with industry experts Lori Clark and Emily Harden and outline the key features that healthcare administrators and practitioners should be looking for when choosing a telehealth video platform. I kicked off my conversations with Lori and Emily by asking them to share a bit about who they are and their journeys into the world of telehealth. My name is Lori Clark and I'm the customer care manager for Theralink. I'm one of the co-founders and um, I've worn lots of hats at Theralink, but um, customer service is where I landed because people are what I do best. Theralink is one of our premium services for telehealth that's offered under the therapy brand's umbrella. I personally think it's just such a fantastic platform. We're family business. My sister is a therapist and saw the need for telehealth in her practice. And this sounded like something that I could really buy into. I'd still be able to use my social work skills, be on the helping side. So I was really fortunate to get in on the ground floor when we started Theralink. And here's Emily. I am Emily Harden. I I am a senior product manager for rehab and telehealth at Therapy Brands, and I am the product owner for two different products within Therapy Brands that do telehealth. One is Theralink, which is an application that serves largely mental health professionals and has just a very light platform for telehealth. And then also the Therapy Brands video service, which is a... API that practice management software can integrate with and then provide telehealth to their customers. How did you come to be in your current role in telehealth? What was your journey to where you are now? I have been a product manager with Therapy Brands since January 2018. And I took on Theralink in the video service in February of 2020, which was Great timing. Well, let me tell you. So what that means is that I met my team with telehealth in February, and then in March, we're getting to know each other during the COVID-19 pandemic. COVID-19 had such a massive effect on the telehealth landscape. And I was curious how this affected Lori and Emily's roles as leaders of telehealth support teams. Here's Lori. 
You know, it's so interesting because when we started Theralink, when we would go to trade shows and so forth, we would literally have to explain what telehealth was because we were so early. Um, some of the early adopters jumped on the bandwagon, but when COVID hit, it was just all hands up. Oh, we're going to have to do this. And so because of national coverage and, you know, you're seeing things on the national news about telehealth, all of a sudden that word became a buzzword. And we were so very grateful for two things that we had worked really, really hard to develop a great product. And also that we joined the therapy brands family because we would not have been able to manage the influx of customers um, had we just been the small group that we were. So we just saw an influx within, you know, days. We were just seeing 100, 200, 300, 400% growth like crazy because all of a sudden everyone needed a telehealth platform. Right. I mean, that's been such a fascinating thing to watch from the back end, from being on the software end of things, at least for me, and I'm sure for you as well, to watch telehealth go from kind of a fringe benefit or something that some providers wanted to be a part of their EHR system, but it wasn't necessarily primary need, or some providers being fully in the telehealth realm, but that being a pretty unique or slightly unusual way of going about things to now it being totally ubiquitous and kind of the assumed delivery model for healthcare, at least at this point in time. And being something that was so necessary in the moment, there was a lot of new telehealth or video platform technology popping up to meet that demand. But I think the value of something like Theralink is that it had been really carefully and thoughtfully created before it was an urgent need. We had already learned all the hard mistakes and had to restart on many aspects. So we were really ready to just move with the customers. One of the founding principles for Theralink, and we really believe this, connections matter. And during the pandemic, we saw more than ever how important those connections are when we were isolated. And so to be a company that can make that connection happen is really thrilling to us. And to know that we can do that well and in an effective manner really took a lot of the edge off of that quarantine period for me personally, because I knew, you know what, we're doing something that matters and we're helping people during a real crisis, worldwide crisis. COVID-19 has been just this huge catalyst for telehealth. There's been this ongoing community that's believed in telehealth and dreamed about the possibilities for modern healthcare, but COVID-19 really forced everyone to explore the possibilities of telehealth overnight. It helped break down legal and financial barriers with CMS or with other insurance carriers and allowed pretty much everyone the opportunity to see their patients at least digitally, if not in person. So for me, what that looks like with my form, we service mental health. I believe that mental health has been impacted more long-term than several other disciplines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can call into the doctor for a cold, but you can't call into the doctor for a broken leg. Uh, Whereas long-term, we do believe that therapists will be able to provide 
services via telehealth. So my focus as a product owner, not just for Theralink and the video service, but for other products and therapy brands, has really been a shift in moving telehealth from being a nice-to-have add-on type feature to being core functionality that's expected in any EMR. You make a good point. A lot of mental health providers, what they're doing is almost exclusively verbal. Not always, but a lot of the time. And so it it lends itself to telehealth in a way that a lot of other versions of healthcare can't. In our conversation, Emily and I got to talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the way that she and her teams think about designing products for not only the provider, but also the end user, the patient. Because I've worked largely with electronic medical records software. And so when we're designing features or setting up workflows, we're designing those for the providers, for the people in the office who are providing services. We don't generally design for the end user or rather our provider's patients. And so now we've got this platform that's one of my primary focuses. And I'm not only designing for the provider experience, but also for the patient experience. And that just opens up a whole new world of questions, thinking about my own experience when I'm coming into therapy. What is it that I'm expecting? What is it that I'm anxious about? How could the software either positively or negatively impact that experience? So yeah, it just opens up a whole new layer of things to explore because of that additional user type. And I think that it's really interesting to think of COVID-19. I mean, we're trying to find silver linings wherever we can for this crazy couple of years that we've had. But I think it's so important whenever in the tech space and in the, you know, in the software space where there's opportunities to kind of force more of a prioritization of the end user and make sure that the person who at the end of the day is being impacted the most by our services is really being kind of centralized in the whole experience and the way that we think about things. I think it's always a good thing, right? Like that can only lead to like good things happening within the industry and within the therapy brand software specifically. So it's really cool to think about it from that perspective and kind of helps with the less cool parts of the pandemic. (laughs) So kind of on that same vein, what has most surprised you in the last year, I guess almost two years now, of interacting with the COVID-19 telehealth boom that's happened? I think the thing that has surprised me the most is how much the people who are providing telehealth and receiving telehealth really value a person in support. Again, this was a shift for me because I worked with electronic medical records. At the end of the day, it's generally those questions are, how do I accomplish this thing? Whereas in telehealth, it's, I'm trying to meet with my patient and I can't communicate with them right this second, right now. And it's hard. Support for telehealth is so hard because you're, you're working with two sets of hardware, whether it's a computer or a tablet phone, you're working with two internet connections, whether it be over Wi-Fi or mobile data, you're working with two different browsers. Are they using Chrome or Safari or Firefox? You're trying to figure out what teeny piece in this whole equation is preventing these two people from connecting. 
And that's just not really possible to do with just a knowledge base. Right. And so I've really enjoyed getting to know our customers, both in being able to help them, but also in hearing their stories of appreciation that there's a human on the other side of this software. Well, and especially because, again, within the software space, there's not a lot of like one-to-one interaction that happens, especially between like designers and support and, and all of those kind of moving parts on the back end of a software being available to someone and then them actually using it. And with telehealth, it kind of like burns all of those like walls that we've ever had between like uh, the software and the people using it. And I think that's true of telehealth in general, you know, not only as, as something we're thinking about it within the tech space, but also within the mental health space and within the greater kind of healthcare industry is that telehealth is something that's happening in real time between two people. You know, it's not like something where you email somebody and you get a response back a couple of days later. It's an immediate interaction on both ends, from the end user to the provider and from the provider to us. You're right. That poses a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunity for us to really get to know who we're working with on all ends. with Emily and Lori had me wondering what in their eyes were the biggest obstacles for providers transitioning to telehealth. Here's what Lori had to say. The first thing that I noticed, my background is in social work. So just from a social work perspective, the first thing that I would notice is just anxiety and fear, change, doing this differently, because it's not the same as having your patient or client in the same room with you that you can hear, you can see their feet moving. You can, you know, there's so many more aspects. So the fear is twofold. It's not just fear of change, of doing this differently with my clients is, I'm afraid of my computer. I don't even really know what it is. I meet people, um, talk to people on a regular basis that don't even know what the word browser means. So I want to take a lot of that out of the picture and just talk to people in a language that they're going to understand something that's going to be accessible to anybody. Because I promise if I can learn this, anyone can. Emily had a slightly different perspective coming from more of a product development side of things. So I think the biggest obstacles aren't actually what you would expect. (laughs) Um, So typically when you think about telehealth, you're like, oh my goodness, I got to figure out this new platform. I got to figure out this technology. And that's not the biggest obstacle because once you get through that initial practice session or a couple real sessions under your belt, the tech part of it is not difficult. What's a really big obstacle is probably two major things. The first is billing. Thankfully, during COVID-19, there was a state of emergency nationally, and then also a lot of states did that, which mandated that payers pay for telehealth services. As we're nearing the end of the pandemic and these state of emergencies are expiring, that is creating a whole new set of rules for how you get paid. And so being able to figure out how do I get credentialed? What codes do I build with? Are there any specific modifiers that I need to use for telehealth? All of those things do make it hard to get paid for providing services. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And then 
I think the other big obstacle, I think this is true really for every discipline, is the loss of the physical context. So like we were talking about before, we were talking about like if you break your leg, it's really hard to serve you via telehealth. Well, there are some aspects even of mental health that are a lot more difficult to provide when you are remote. Generally, mental health providers are intuitive. They're very empathic. They can feel other people's energy or emotions when they walk in the room. And there's physical cues too, right? So like maybe somebody comes in and sits down in the chair and crosses their legs and starts jiggling their foot. But you can't see that over telehealth. So those cues are something that you have to learn to work around because you don't have them anymore. Another thing that just isn't there because telehealth in and of itself is a very new thing is there's not as many studies about the effectiveness of telehealth versus in-person treatment. We've got decades of studies on the effectiveness of different in-person treatments, but how well do those actually transfer to telehealth? Are they worth providing long-term or would it be more effective to require that your patients come to you? Well, thinking about, you know, improving the experience for the patient and the provider as much as possible, what do you think providers should be really looking for when they're choosing what telehealth platform they're going to move forward with for their practice? I think the most important thing is to know before you even do your first Google search, what is it that I want this software to do for me? Do I already have an electronic medical record software? And so I don't need that. Literally all I want is a video session. Done. Or do I need something more in depth? Do I need something that will handle scheduling? Do I need something that will automatically send reminders to my patients or my clients? And so thinking through what role is this tool going to have in your practice is going to be really important for your decision making. I mean, I can I can geek out about this all day long about how COVID has changed telehealth for for the entire medical industry, but like for the software within the medical industry, it's hard to identify electronic medical record software that doesn't have telehealth anymore. So do you provide group therapy? Do you provide not just like group therapy in the traditional sense of a whole bunch of people sitting around in a room, but like, are you ever providing therapy to more than one person who might be in different physical places? Like maybe marriage counseling where husband and wife or partners are separated. If you're having to service two people, that's in the telehealth world, a group session. And so you have to be able to think through, okay, am I only ever working with one person at a time? Or are there chances that there's going to be two people in two different places? Do I want a waiting room? Do I want to be able to see who's there and let them in? Or do I care if the session just starts? Do you need to be able to share your screen? Is there a time where you're sharing a video or a quote or some something else that helps enrich your session? All of those are features that you need to think about before you really start doing your research. Then I would say like, start with your Google search, but I promise you, you're going to get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed and this is what I do for a living. (laughs) And so once you get an idea of maybe what you want to consider, talk to your colleagues. What has worked for them? Talk to them about like the benefits of integrating with your EMR versus using a third-party solution. Can you talk to the salespeople at these companies? Because a lot of times, as much as 
people maintain the websites, maybe something new has been added because COVID is changing everything so fast. Maybe those salespeople can help you think through your use case and talk to you about how the platform that they have available would help you with your specific setup. That's not something you're ever going to get from a website. So if you are the type of person who likes talking to people or who is willing to talk to people, talking to both your colleagues, but also those salespeople really can help you through the process. conversation with Lori, the customer support manager for Theralink, we also were talking about getting support where you can and not being afraid to ask for it. Not everyone has the same skill set with computer skills. Just to be able to understand where your level of competency is and ask for help um, because help is available in Theralink. I love that. And I think that that will really resonate with the providers listening because asking for help is kind of a core tenant of getting patients in the door. You know, in in mental health, the first step is always accepting that you need help or being open to the possibility that there's somebody with a really specific skill set that can help you work through issues that you yourself don't feel already equipped to handle necessarily, or that you need someone to kind of help you get those tools in place so that when you're on your own in the world, you can make it happen for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that when we built the platform from the ground up, we want it to be something that really is not that difficult. As industry experts, I wanted to know what advice Lori and Emily had for providers who are new to telehealth. Here was Lori's advice. Pay for the best Wi-Fi that you can, prepare yourself, practice as much as possible, and prepare your clients also. The more information that you give your clients for success, the more success that you're going to have in that session. So if it's at all humanly possible to run a test session with every client in advance of an appointment absolutely do it because fear is works on both sides. Sometimes you have a client that's not tech savvy and they're nervous. And so some of the same things that I see in the queue answering chats every day are based on nerves. People get nervous and they forget to do X, Y, and Z. So the more you can inform your client and train your client, the better success. And if you have, if set up that 10 minutes. Hey, just give me 10 minutes of your time. I'm not going to charge you. Let's just get together and let's make sure we can connect. Because then what you've done for yourself is you've opened up a big old window that you can use the chat to chat with me, call our help desk, reference the knowledge base that's available on every single platform and get the answers that you need so that you're not all of a sudden 10 minutes into an appointment. The clock is ticking and they've already paid you. Um, So that's probably my best advice is to really prepare you and your clients. 
That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Lori, for talking with us today. I know that everyone who uses Theralink and comes into contact with you is so grateful for the wealth of knowledge that you have and the reassurance you're able to give people when they're new to these platforms. Thank you. You know what? It's that connection thing. I really think it matters. I love what I do and I feel thrilled um, that we're providing such a great service that helps connect people and that need help. Emily also had advice that I think is really valuable. Telehealth is different and new, but it is effective. More research will come out to prove that, but the amount of anecdotal evidence from the past year and a half is overwhelming. And then you're not alone. It's okay to reach out for help. I think that's really sound advice. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for sharing all of your deep well of information that you have on telehealth. And I'm so grateful for everything that you're doing for all of the people out there who have been needing telehealth services over the last couple of years. And I'm excited to see where things go in the future and where you go with it. Thanks so much for listening today. I wish you all the best in your practice management. My name is Sage and you've been listening to Perfecting the Practice, the podcast for behavioral health providers and administrators on how practice management makes perfect. If you're enjoying this season of Perfecting the Practice, please consider subscribing and maybe even leaving a review. It helps other listeners like you find us. Thanks again and bye for now.